Good morning, ELM Church. It's, it's a great privilege and honor to be with you this morning. I'm actually going to ask my wife to come up to pray for me. Uh, she's a prayer woman. And uh, we, this summer we'll be married 28 years, and she is a vital part of the ministry that God has called us to. So. Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you all. Let's uh, bow our heads and pray. The Lord says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So, Father, we approach your throne with confidence because of the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And Father, we thank you for the Lord eternal life ministry church. Father, this is your church, the body of Christ, the precious body that you have died for. And Father, we just give you honor and praise. Thank you for this charge to the ELM that we are to rise and go to the peoples and shine the light of Jesus. And thank you, Lord. We, we shall see one day that this church will be a church for all nations. For the, this is your desire. This is your prayer. Father, we ask that you anoint Pastor James Cha with your Holy Spirit. That he will boldly preach your word with truth. Without any compromising. Without holding anything back. But for all for your glory and honor. That we may be unleashed to the nations with a gospel that is eternal. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Thank you. So as we look at today's text, the title is Jesus Has All Authority. And we, um, as Pastor Steve just read to us, going back through this brief few words that Jesus gave to us before he ascended back into heaven, but it's this first part, you know, the rest of 19 and 20 we know as the Great Commission, that he is sending on us on a mission, all the churches across the world, to reach out to the nations, basically people groups across the world, wherever they are, so that they may hear the good news and come to faith in Christ. But it's this first part where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And because he has that authority, then he can say, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So this is the phrase, or that's the part that I want to focus on this morning, because quite often missionaries and evangelists that go into other countries, especially hostile places, if we lose sight of the one who has sent us, then we begin to panic, live in fear, or compromise. The fact that Jesus has all authority means he's a ruler, he's a king. And there are many rulers, many kings, emperors, prime ministers in this world, but in eternal perspective, there are two rulers that we need to focus on. One is our Lord Jesus Christ, and the other one is Satan. And in one simple verse in John 10.10, Jesus introduces both rulers. And in that verse, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's very descriptive 
of the works of Satan. Whatever we have, he wants to steal that joy, steal and destroy marriage relationships. And ultimately, he wants to destroy lives so that they don't go to heaven, that they go to hell with him. The second part of that verse, Jesus says, but I have come to bring life, abundant life. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, because there's a spiritual truth, a principle that I want to bring out before we go and unpack the rest of um, Matthew 28. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And this is talking about God, God the Father. He has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And basically, these two verses, these two verses are saying that everyone who is born into this world, we are born into the kingdom of darkness. It doesn't matter whether you are born into a Christian family, Baptist, Presbyterian, or you're born into a Hindu or Buddhist, atheist family, it doesn't matter. Every one of us born into this world, we're born into the kingdom of darkness. We live in the kingdom of darkness. It's not until you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's not until you're born again that you come out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. So your very children that you're, you're raising in your home, when they're born, they're not part of God's kingdom. It's not until they put their faith in Jesus that they become the children who now belong to the kingdom of God. And that's what drives missions. That's why we're going to Cambodia, to Uzbekistan in our case, because there are people living there, some who were born into a Russian Baptist family, some who were born into a Muslim family. They never heard the gospel, never really made that decision to follow Jesus. And so they're the ones that God wanted us to go and share the good news. So looking through this text, I want to highlight just five alls of the Great Commission. The first one is that Jesus has all authority, and we'll look at that in more detail, greater detail this morning, that all peoples are to be discipled, that God's heart is for all people groups, not just Asians, not just Koreans, not just white or black, but people from all different nations, that all that Christ has commanded should be taught and obeyed. And this is a difficult part for missionaries. If I'm not obeying Jesus in everything, how can I disciple others to obey Jesus in everything? And oftentimes, there's where the breakdown is, disconnect is, because I'm telling them to do something that I'm not doing. And the church that's established can become very weak. And then Jesus says he'll be with us all the days to the very end of the age. This commission, this great commission is until he comes back. So it's even for us today. And this commission is for all believers, not just the pastors, not just Pastor Steve, Pastor Walton, or John Lee who's going overseas, but all of us here in this room. And so on Friday night, we shared about our calling, how God brought us together, and my wife At age 16, in 1981, she made a commitment to full-time ministry. For me, age 20, 1983, God called me into full-time ministry to Muslims, 
1991, we got, a, we got married, paid off our student loans, went to seminary, and eventually in year 2000, we went to the mission field. But if you count up the years, it takes about, it took 17 to 20 years for us between the time of calling and going overseas. And the main reason, I believe, is because Jesus wanted to exercise his authority over our lives. You see, God saw the status of our hearts and our lives, and he wanted holy, pure, consecrated vessels. He wanted instruments, people who belonged to him fully, not just with a degree, you know, not just by mouth, but fully committed to him. And I believe 2 Timothy chapter 2 brings this out very clearly. It says, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. And this is Paul's very last letter that he would write. And then the Lord would take him home. And he's writing to Timothy, his disciple, but also to us. And he's sharing a few principles about ministry. After decades of fruitful ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, let me say these few words to you. In God's house, there are all kinds of vessels, all kinds of instruments. Some are worship leaders, pastors, Sunday school teachers, and that's great. What's important in, to God is not the outside, who we are, you know, ethnic race, it's the inside. Are we clean vessels? Have we turned away from wickedness? Have we confessed our sins so that we become worthy vessels in God's hand, not unworthy? So think of yourself, ourselves, as this cup in God's hand. You know, it's not the outside so much, it's the inside. Is my heart clean? Is it pure before God? Because when the living water, when the Holy Spirit comes in, you know, and we are living out the gospel, and I'm sharing the gospel with Muslims in our case, what will eventually come out is not only the gospel, but what's in my heart. And who wants to offer a dirty water to someone who's thirsty? If I have sinful patterns, addictions to pornography, to gambling, prejudice, greed, the enemy, Satan makes sure that it comes out. And we've seen that on the mission field. So growing up in the States, as I shared on Friday, my father was a pastor of a Korean-American church in Virginia. The way I rebelled, I was into hard rock. <laughs> and kind of like our brother John Lee, I had kind of, if, if if I, and I let my hair grow, it was like growing curly. And um, so that was, and my best friends were doing marijuana. I never did drugs, but, you know, I hung out with those kind of crowds. I also loved horror movies. And you're thinking, what kind of sick person would love horror movies? That was me. And even after coming to Christ, I would watch them. And God would speak to my heart. Hey, you know, all these movies glorify Satan. They don't glorify me. What are you doing watching those things? So giving that up. And recently, this woman who heads up a ministry against sex trafficking, if 
She said this, if you want to end sex trafficking, stop watching porn and Game of Thrones. She's absolutely right. I've never watched Game of Thrones, but I heard that in that series, there's a lot of sexual violence, raping, kidnapping. Well, you watch that, and she's saying you'll become like that. If, you want to, if you're serious about stopping sex trafficking in Cambodia, stop watching porn. That's what feeds sex trafficking. When my wife and I got married, she was a pharmacist. I was an electrical engineer. We worked 10 years in D.C. And one of the things that God challenged us was say no to the American dream. And we decided because we're going overseas as long-term missionaries that we would not buy a home in America. We paid off our student loans. Nothing wrong with buying a home. But I believed if we bought a home in America, our hearts would be tied to America. And if anything happened on the mission field, we'll always look back to where our anchor was. And God was challenging us, let your home be where I send you and look towards me for provision. So I just Googled mansion, that came up. I hope that's not your house. <laughs> I think that has like 10 garages. But you know, there are homes like this in Northern Virginia. I don't know about here. There are homes like 15, $50 million, Great Falls, McLean, where a lot of the wealthy politicians live. Plenty of that. And God was saying no to the American dream. But the very last place of consecration where Jesus wanted to exercise his authority over our lives and our relationship, we were married about nine years, and then God took us overseas. We were with Pioneers, great mission agency. My younger sister was on staff with YWAM. It's another, another mission agency, Youth with a Mission. And at Kona, Hawaii, she invited us and said, hey, James and Faith, why don't you come with your kids and go through our three-month training? And we thought, hmm, God wants to give us a vacation before we go to the desert, so let's go. So we went there, and every, it was three months. Every week, there was a different speaker. But halfway through, it's called Plumb Line, where God's word becomes the plumb line. And we measured our lives against God's word, and we were coming up short. And so Faith and I were really challenged to confess our sins to each other. And so we took a day off to fast and pray. And whatever sin that God, the Holy Spirit, was convicting me to share with my wife, I wrote them down, and she did the same. And one by one, we confessed our sins to each other and to ask for forgiveness. For me, things like shoplifting when I was in fourth grade, cheating on exams when I was in college, my struggle with pornography after we got married when I was at seminary that I kept from her. I confessed those sins. I asked her to forgive me. She confessed her sins, and I forgave her. And God renewed our marriage. You see, the first nine years of our marriage, we were fighting a lot, even thinking about getting separated, getting a divorce. But we still wanted to be missionaries. And Jesus was saying, no, hold on. You know, I need you to go through this where the Holy Spirit can work on your heart. And there are two verses, one from the New Testament, the Old Testament as well. And James 5, 16, he says, the context is a sick person asking the elders, the leaders of the church, to come and pray. But the healing that we needed that James 5, 16 talks about is the healing in our marriage relationship. 
And he says, therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, and God wanted to bring healing to our marriage relationship. Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And our God is a God of mercy. And he was convicting us of sin, not to condemn us. That's not God's heart, but to set us free. You see, when we confess our sins, we find freedom and healing. That's God's heart. And I don't know where you are. The Holy Spirit does in your walk with him. And I mentioned a few things like pornography, Game of Thrones, horror movies, you know, even addiction to gaming. All these allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you because you're, you're children of God, children of the light. And he wants you to just take off the dark, soiled, you know, sinful clothes that you're wearing. And so we confessed our sins. We even renewed our marriage vows. And then we went to the mission field. And that's the healing that God wanted us to find. Because on the mission field, we saw six missionary couples going through divorce during our 10 years in Central Asia. And we could have ended up being the seventh one. And God wanted to prevent that from happening. And then after that, we went to Uzbekistan, a country of about 26 million people, mostly Muslims. And we lived in a city called Samarkand. Our kids' ages were eight, seven, and four. And because of my background as an electrical engineer, I was invited as a guest professor to teach engineering classes at this university. And I asked the Lord, we asked the Lord, God, how do you want us to do missions in this country? How? Because he's the Lord of the harvest. And Jesus has authority over the people, even the harvest field. How do you want us to do missions? What is your strategy? And we need to hear from the Lord. And the Lord spoke two messages. And the first came through this missions uh, retreat in Tashkent, which is the capital city of Uzbekistan, in June of 2001, three months before 9-11. And God knew that in three months, something will happen in New York City, and it will have a rippling effect in Muslim countries. Because Uzbekistan is right above Afghanistan. And God knew that some of the missionaries would be living in fear because of the war that America would have with Afghanistan and the Taliban and Al-Qaeda who would be going through that region. So at this conference and retreat, this man came to speak. His name is Len Bartlady. He was a missionary to Pakistan for 14 years. And after 14 years, after having many disciples and starting different churches, after 14 years, he lost his visa. The Pakistani government kicked him out. So as he was leaving the country, he took a survey of all the MBBs, Muslim background believers that he knew, and he asked them, what have you learned from us, foreign missionaries? And you know what was the number one answer? They said, we learned how to fear man through you guys. And he asked, what do you mean? And they said, well, you missionaries from other countries, you came to teach us the gospel, how to preach, how to teach, how to lead worship. But when I looked at your lives, when we look at your lives, you're living in fear. So whenever there was persecution, you would tell us, let's not meet for six months. Or some of the medical missionaries, the doctors, 
they would tell the local Pakistani believers, don't share the gospel in my hospital. I don't want to lose registration. If you want to share the gospel, you get out of the building, the campus, and then you can share the gospel with the Muslim patients. And the overwhelming message that the missionaries were giving to the local believers was one of fear. And so this man, he, when he came to us, he made this challenge, what are you going to teach your disciples? And the Lord just spoke to us through this verse, Isaiah 41.10. Can we read this together? So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Amen. And these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as well. He's saying, I'm sending you with authority, my authority. I will be with you. I'll protect you. No one can touch you. And what was happening in Uzbekistan at the time, around the year 2000, 2001, those few years, every year, three missionary families will be kicked out of the country. And that put the rest of us in fear. And the Lord was saying to us, your visa is in my hand. It's not in the hands of the local government. They cannot kick you out unless I give them the permission. Please understand that. And especially if you're going to hostile places like even North Korea, they cannot touch you unless God gives them the permission. Jesus has all authority. So that was the first message. The second message that he gave us was this, worship me. John Piper said this well in his book, missions exist because worship doesn't. In that distant country, there are no believers. They cannot worship God like what we are doing right now. And so bring worship into that place Bring them into my kingdom that they may also be worshipers of the living God. But part of the process in our town, we didn't, where we were living, we had, there were no believers. So God challenged us, why don't you open your house? So two Fridays a month, we would take turns. Missionaries from different agents, agencies would come together. We would sing worship songs for an hour, and then we would pray for two hours by name, all the Muslims that we knew in our community that we want, we wanted the Holy Spirit to open their hearts to receive the gospel. And so this is a picture of our home in Samarkand. We had about 20 people, parents, adults, and children, and we began to worship the Lord. Just like Paul reminds us in Colossians 4, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And Paul is reminding us, as you pray, God will open the door. It's a partnership with the Lord. And if you want to see people around you, Muslims, Hindus, the Chinese who are coming from the mainland, if you want to see them come to Christ, Pray, come together, like 9 o'clock in the morning, Saturday mornings. Come together and pray. And that God may open the door. So about two weeks, we, as we began to meet with other missionary families to pray, two weeks after that was our first convert. She was a Tajik widow, a Muslim. She came to Christ and her two sons. She was my wife's language tutor. She came to Christ. And then over the next three, four years, 
every other week, someone whose heart was ready, as we were praying, someone whose heart was ready came to Christ. So by, by three years, three, four years, we had 60 Muslims baptized, and we were able to start a house church. And I'm going to ask my wife to come up because she's going to share an amazing testimony of how Jesus has authority over the spirit of witchcraft. This woman you are seeing next to me, her name is Shoista, and she's about my age. Um, so she is the aunt of the first picture. Can you go back to the first picture woman uh, getting baptized? So this woman is Firuza, my language helpers, and the Shoista is the aunt to this woman. So um, when Firuza got baptized, um, she said to me right away, Miss Faith, would you pray for my aunt who is a shaman? So shaman is a woman who practices witchcraft and uh, does fortune telling or casts curses and things like that on people. Um, she has been practicing shamanism for about five years. And uh, it is a very involved process. They have to fast 40 days. Uh, in, and not go outside for the home. And they have to uh, kill a sheep and put blood on all, of, all over themselves and asking for the power, really, from the, the demonic uh, realm. And, um, but uh, she has been doing that for five years, but their family has experienced all kinds of sicknesses and deaths ever since this woman has become a shaman. And so Firuza said, we need to get her become a Christian. And I have never met her, but we prayed for Shoista together for about six months, every time we meet. And lo and behold, one day, we get a phone call from Shoista. And uh, she's looking for Firuza. And so Firuza gets on the phone. She was in my house. And then Shoista says, Firuza, you have to take me to church. And that was just out of the blue. And so Shoista said, what happened, aunt? And she said, well... Just like every morning, I wake up, first thing I do is I do my fortune for the day for myself. And uh, just like Christians, we wake up and we do what? We'll do QT, but the, the shamans will do their witchcraft to see what their fortune is for the day. And this very day, something strange happened. Every time she did the... The, the words with the books, the magic books, and all kinds of words she would have a message for herself. It came up as Isomasi. Isomasi means in Uzbek word, Jesus Christ. And so she said, this is strange. She did it again. And then this time again, Isomasi. She said, so strange. Third time, it came Isomasi. That's when she gave up and called Firuza. And so Firuza relayed the message to me. And when she told me this story, I said, I looked at her and I said, Shoista, God is, um, Firuza, God is calling Shoista. And I said, I believe today is the day of her salvation. We need to go to her and share the gospel. And then at the same time, my heart was, you know, fluttering with excitement. But at the same time, fear started to come upon me. And, and like the whisper of the enemy saying, uh, Faith, what do you know about sharing gospel with the witches? They have power, you know. They can cast spell on you. And, and then start, I start having fear. But the Lord reminded me again, Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed. I'm your God. 
I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so I shared this with uh, Pastor James, my husband, and he graciously said, Faith, I think it would be a great thought. Why don't you go and share the gospel? All right, so here I am. I am, um, I'm just having, you know, mixed feelings. But, you know, uh, Pastor James prayed over me and Firuza and two of us. We just said, Lord, you go before us, go with us, and Father, we, um, that you will also take care of the fruit later on. So um, we took up three weapons with us, and that is the, uh, the Bible, and an Uzbek, Uzbek Bible, and we took a guitar and a praise songbook. And I was determined to worship there because um, I wanted to cast out any other evil spirits uh, by the praise and worship. So um, as uh, we marched to her house, we saw that she was living in a very worn-down apartment. Um, and, in, and we knocked on the door. We said, assalamu alaikum. And the choice to open the door. And alaikum assalam. And then we walked in. And she served us tea, just as Uzbek people, very hospitable. And we sat in her room. But they only had two rooms in the house for six people. Four children, two adults. And one room was dedicated for bedroom, dining room, family room, multi-purpose room. And then the other room was for the witchcraft. And no one can go in there without Shoista's permission. So we walked into the family room, and then um, we drank tea, and I didn't waste much time. I said, you know, Shoista, I believe God is calling you. When you got Isomasi three times, you know, Jesus is calling you. And I said, Jesus is the son of God. He is the Holy One, came down from heaven to live among us without sin. But he died to pay the penalty of every one of our sins in the world, including you and mine. And without his death on the cross, there is no hope for us to go to the paradise, to enter in the presence of Heavenly Father. But praise the Lord, Jesus died voluntarily because he loves you so much, Shoista. Praise the Lord. But he rose again on the third day, and he, that means he rose again victoriously from Satan, sin, and death. There's no one that Jesus cannot conquer. Nothing Jesus cannot conquer. And, and he rose again. He's coming back one day to take us all home. What a wonderful, wonderful news. And, um, but I said, Shoista, what you have been doing is evil. All this witchcraft is done by the power of Satan. You are borrowing, and you are borrowing his power, and you are submitting. You are a slave to Satan. And then you know what she said to me? She says, I know what I've been doing is evil. Hallelujah. I believe the Holy Spirit convicted her right then and there and humbled her. And so I said, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And then I didn't waste much time, and I went to Leviticus chapter 20, 26. Can we all read this together? You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. A man or woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. That's right. And I said, Shoista, you know, in Old Testament times, people like you, God wanted you to be stoned to death. And the blood will be on your head. No one else will be responsible. 
And she said, she had just wide-eyed. Now, this is not a very seeker-friendly message. All right, I, I, I see that. But I believe that God was already speaking to her even before I got there. And so I, I was able to speak very, you know, um, uh, yeah, pointedly. And uh, she accepted it. And she said to me, um, as she was saying, I know what I'm doing is evil. I, I want to live this life. And I said, hallelujah. We, it took about four hours of a Q&A before. She said, I'm ready. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus, that he will take over me, and I want to get, get rid of this. I know the message that I got is from the Lord himself. And did you know that she confessed about three years ago? A Korean-Russian woman invited her to a Korean-Russian church, all Russian, um, like a Koryoin, uh, and speaking in Russian. And, and when she was walking down the aisle, she said, that a bright light from the cross came upon her, just, just shined upon her, and she fell. She fainted in the church. And so she said, ever since then, I knew there was a power of God that's stronger than me. And she always had the fear of the Christian God. And then today, I had, was able to share the gospel with her. So she, she accepted Christ. And then it was um, time for me to go. But the Holy Spirit said to me, it's not done yet, Faith. Go into the other room, and I want you to worship there. Okay? And I was scared. I said, God, you're asking too much of me. But the Lord, um, you know, when you, God convicts you, you have to obey him. So I led the two women. I said, let's go into the other room where you've been doing witchcraft. Let's rededicate to Jesus Christ. And so then um, I led her to this verse in um, Acts chapter 19. If you know Acts chapter 19, it's that city is in Ephesus where Paul was preaching. And uh, when Paul did amazing, not only salva bringing salvation to people, but he healed many people and cast out evil spirits. And then people were stricken with fear. And this is what the witches did, the shamans of those days. This is what they did. Let's read this together. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Okay, the, I believe 50,000 drachmas, today's value, it would be $5 million. And uh, many of these people, their scrolls were expensive. They, these were very, very valuable but you know what? When Holy Spirit came upon them and convicted them of their sins, and they had the fear of the name of Jesus, they brought all the scrolls, like in the front of a White House, so to speak, and then they burned them all up as a confession and repentance of their, and turning away from their wickedness. So I shared this with Shoista. I said, Shoista, how about you? Today is the day of your salvation. Would you be willing to burn this up? Because I saw on, her, on that... Um, in the room, a low table covered with a tablecloth and with all kinds of black magic books and like a knife, a little drum set, you know, raisins and different, uh, different spices. And I said, would you be willing to burn this up and be done with it? And then she looked at me wide-eyed because this was how she fed her family. 
She was the breadwinner of the family. And that means tomorrow, her job is done. There's no, nothing to feed her family with. And so I said, would you trust Shoista? Jesus has all authority. He will give you a job, a dignified job that you could feed your family with. And then she said, let's do it. So we got a, back, a pack of matches. We wrapped up the whole thing in the table, uh, with a tablecloth, went outside to the dumpster. Okay, I'm still scared. I mean, don't think that I'm brave. I'm very just nervous, and I'm just praying all the time, Jesus, be with me. Hold my hand, Lord. And we went downstairs outside, and then we just lit it on fire. And as we were watching the whole thing go up into flames, I taught her this song and taught both of them. Shukur hudovan dimgya mukatas buyuktan grimgya ugurni beldi upisgya shukurular pursin and ojislar buyuk pursin kambagalar boy pursin hudoning ugurni bisgya beldi and that was the song we sang together as it was burning up into flames. And then the drizzle, uh, God sent some rain. Um, and then as I was leaving her home, I turned to Shoista and I said, Shoista, I, you know, you are just a newborn baby in Christ Jesus. I feel like I'm leaving a baby as, as a mother and, and just leaving you, but I'm entrusting you into God's hands. And so I prayed for her, and I said to this, her, Shoista, because you are dedicated to uh, Satan for its work, you may even be attacked tonight. Satan may not easily give you up. So you may experience like nightmare or something, um, something um, like tragic or something that, that will be very dangerous happen, but I want you to know you can call in the name of Jesus. I left her, and then the two days later, I met her at the bus stop for a woman's Bible study, and then she was there, but she seemed very shaken up, and she said, Faith, I don't want to go to Bible study. I had a nightmare last night that two men dressed in black came into my, uh, our bedroom and just killed my daughter, ripped her up into pieces, and uh, she was dead, and usually my dreams come true. And so I said, Shoista, I told you that, that Satan will not leave you alone. But you have now spiritual warfare. You have a spiritual weapon to fight Satan and win. And that is God's word. You have his truth. And you know you can call out the name of Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. That's only name, Jesus. And then she said, okay, okay. And then we prayed. And she came to our woman's Bible study, and she proclaimed, I'm a new creation. I gave my life to Jesus. I was a shaman, but no longer. So hallelujah. You know, because of her bold, courageous turnaround from, the, uh, from being witch, uh, with a, doing evil work to, um, to following Jesus, she got baptized, and then she shared the gospel with her husband, who also became baptized on the same day, and then also her daughter and her son. And so praise the Lord. God has saved not only a shaman, but 
just as in Acts 16.31, the Lord says, Believe in the Lord, and you and your whole household will be saved. And this happened about a year. It took about a year for the whole family to come to Christ. But the Lord did it. And so I pray, even in Cambodia, or wherever you go, the Lord will do this. By saving one person, the Lord will save the whole household. Amen. And so as we continue to worship the Lord, the missionaries come, coming together and worship and pray, the Lord kept bringing people into our lives whose hearts were open to the gospel. And this young man who's being baptized, he was our Uzbek language tutor. We needed to learn the language. And I asked him, who would you teach me your language using this book? And gave him a copy of the Uzbek Bible. So that's a good missionary strategy. If you go to another country and you want to learn their language, Find someone, pray to God first, someone who's not a believer, and ask him, can you teach me this, your language using this book? And he read the entire New Testament in his language in one month. And he was thirsty for God, and he loved what Jesus taught, what he said. And he was struggling in his heart, which is true. Is it the Bible or the Quran? Do I follow Jesus or Muhammad? Amazingly, the way that God answered his prayer or his question one night, around midnight, he woke up from his sleep. Someone came into his room. It was not a man. It was not his father coming back from the last prayer at the mosque. It was a spirit of death. Absolutely dark spirit, black spirit, came and hovered over him, and he could not move any part of his body. He was stuck to the ground. His hands, his feet, he could not even turn his head. And he could only see this thing come on top of him and was on, choking him. He was suffocating. And nothing, he could not even say anything. Nothing was coming out of his throat, no sound. And he called out in his heart, help me, Allah. Nothing happened. Help me, Hudo, which is the Uzbek word for God. Nothing happened. Help me, Muhammad. Nothing. And then finally, he said, help me, Iso Masi, which is Uzbek for Jesus Christ. And a beam of light came down from heaven, struck the demon, and it disappeared. And Muzaffar, this young man, was saved. Praise God. And that's when he decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. So he came to our church, started coming to our men's Bible study, which, by the way, was two hours on Monday evenings. Women's Bible study was six hours on Thursday afternoons. <laughs> Women just love to talk and pray. <laughs> so keep that in mind. As you have people, Hindus, Buddhists, especially ladies, sisters, if they're coming to Christ, they need that one-on-one -on -one time or group time just to pray and to confess, and to cry, and to, and to be hugged, you know. Um, guys, I think we're more to the point, and after two hours, we've used up all our language for the day. <laughs> so after two years, he decided, I'm going to be baptized. So on the day that he was baptized, he and his wife and his sister were baptized. One week later, his father came to our home, and his father was a professor at the same university where I was teaching, and we were good friends. We celebrated birthdays, holidays together. And we even watched the Jesus movie, the Jesus film in a DVD. We watched it together for about a couple times. And he said to me, I thought we were friends, but you have betrayed me. You have taken my son, my daughter, and my daughter-in-law away from my home, and they have become Muslims. And this is a huge shame to my family in front of my community. I want you to return my children back to me as Muslims. 
And I told them, we can't do that. They're not little kids. They're about close to 30 years old. They're adults. They made their decision between, it was a decision between them and God. And so when we told him we cannot do that, he said to us, then if, if they don't come back in a week, I'm going to report you to the local KGB. Uh, and KGB, because it was a post-Soviet country, the KGB still operates there. So about two weeks later, I was having Bible study with these four men, and Muzaffar is standing on the far left. We got arrested, taken to the local police station. And Jesus, who has authority over the government and the rulers, he promised this in Mark 13, knowing that we would be arrested as missionaries, as evangelists. He said, on on account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. And God was saying to us through this verse, passage, don't worry about what to say. And so I was in this room with the police chief, four other officers behind him, and then there was a KGB agent sitting in the back writing down all the proceedings of the interrogation. And this police chief asked me one question. You're supposed to be teaching computer classes at the university. What are you doing teaching another religion to my people? And the Lord started giving me answers what to say. So instead of giving him an answer, I gave the police chief a question. And I said to him, Look at your country. Look at Uzbekistan. You have no jobs here. You have no work. So people are leaving your country to look for jobs elsewhere. Half of the men from our city, Samarkand, 200,000 men have left. They're going to Russia, Europe, America to look for jobs. And they're even going to Korea, where I'm from. And when I said that to him, he said, that's true. My nephew is right now in Korea. He's been there for the last three years, working at a factory. And he's making tons of money. And then he pulled out his phone and he said, I love Korea, LG, Samsung, and, <laughs> and there are a lot of Korean cars in Uzbekistan, Daewoo, you know, they have a lot of cars. And he, and he watches Korean drama, like Daejanggum, and he said, he named all these things, I love Korea. That's when I asked him this question. How long do you want your people to go to other countries and work like slaves in factories? Don't you want God to bless your country so that people from other nations will come to Uzbekistan to look for jobs? And he started listening. I said, let me tell you about your country. You're not poor. You have a lot of natural resources. They have gold. They produce a lot of cotton. And they have huge amount of natural gas that's still buried. But all that wealth is in the hands of the few corrupt leaders and their children are driving Lexus and BMW in the capital city. But where we live, school teacher gets paid $20 a month. How can you live on $20 a month in 21st century? And so because of that corruption, there is no blessing from God coming to the people. And I said to him, just because you have all these natural resources does not mean you have not God's blessing. But God's blessing will come to your people to this nation when you have people worthy of his blessing and that worthiness comes through his truth. And I had my Uzbek Bible and I said to him, look, let me tell you about this book. 150 years ago, my people, Korea, we did not know God. We worshiped ancestors and Buddha, no blessing of God. 
But then 150 years ago, people came from Europe, from America, they built schools, hospitals, but most importantly, they told us about the living God. And look at what Jesus has done to my country, Korea. He has blessed it, transformed it, and Korea has become one of the leading nations in Asia. And your people are coming to my country to find the blessing of God. And God has sent me to Uzbekistan to bring his blessing, not his curse. And if you don't like what I'm doing, you can kick me out tomorrow. Because during that time in Uzbekistan, as a missionary, if you're arrested during Bible study, they'll interrogate you and then take you right to the airport and deport you. And I knew that could happen to me. And so when I said, you can kick me out tomorrow, this police chief stood up, he pounded on the table, and he said, no, I want you in my country. We need more people like you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So he, um, he said, you can stay in the country. And we were able to stay for eight more months. And then after eight months, the same man who turned us over to the KGB, he turned us over to the capital city, police there and the KGB. And, and then we had to leave. So that's our last Sunday. We pray for seven leaders, anoint them with oil and lead them, uh, recognize them as leaders. And then we prayed for our house church. And in turn, our house church got the five of us into the front of the church, laid their hands on us, and commissioned us to the next country. So then we were in Kyrgyzstan for four years. And by God's grace, during our 10 years in Central Asia, we saw about 120 Muslims come to Christ and started four house churches. Then in 2010, we come back from the mission field and our kids, ages, they were eight and seven and four. Now they're 18, 17, and 14. And my wife homeschooled our kids on the mission field and we thought they may not be able to go to college, but God blessed the children. Jesus has authority over your children. And so he provided, both our sons went through University of Virginia with full scholarship. And then our daughter just graduated last year from Princeton with full scholarship. So if you want your children and grandchildren to go to UPenn or Penn State with full scholarship, go to the mission field and come back. <laughs> and God will provide for them. Amen? Amen? Jesus has authority over your children. Don't let them become your idols. Do not refuse Jesus when he wants to send you some way, somewhere. He will take care of your children. And then I would just want to go back to the story of we didn't buy a home. And as we were coming back, our sending mission agency and the sending church said, we don't have a house for you, but we can help you with one-year rent, which on the mission field, our rent was about 500 a month. In Northern Virginia, it's 2,000 a month. And so for the first year, they were very gracious. They helped us. But after that, they said, you're on your own. And so when we first heard the news that there's no house for us, no missionary house, my wife and I and our three kids, this is our family verse, our favorite verse in the Bible as a family, Matthew 6, Let's read this together. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And these are the words of our Lord Jesus. And I said to Faith and our three kids, this promise is, is from Jesus. It's not from the mission agency. It's not from our sending church. And we followed Jesus to the mission field. And now we're going back. We don't have a home. But since he made the promise, we'll trust him. So if Jesus were to give you a house, what would you like in a house? And our daughter, she said, I want a swimming pool. So I wrote that on a whiteboard. 
Our second son, Josiah, he said, I want a big yard with a dog. So we wrote that. Our first son, Joniel, he said, I want lots of trees because Uzbekistan was like a desert. Faith asked for hardwood floor, and then I said that I want a brick house. So we wrote that, and we held hands, prayed, and then forgot about it. About a year and a half after we came back from the mission field, now we started paying for the rent on our own, on our own fund, support fund, and we cannot make the payments. So pretty soon, we're going to be homeless out on the street. And then my old friend from work, he's a co-worker from my engineering days, 10 years older, dear white Christian brother, strong believer, Bob and his wife met with us, and he said, we want to help you in your ministry. What do you need? And we said, we, ministry to the Muslims is going well, but we need a house less than 1000 a month. We can't afford that. And then he said to us, my wife and I built a house in Leesburg, Virginia, 10 years ago, or 30 years ago in 1980, but now the house is empty. And we built a new home three hours south, and we're living in the new home, but the first home is empty. Would you like to come and live in the new home? And he said, you don't have to pay rent, just pay the utilities, and you can stay there until Jesus comes back. <laughs> so we go to the house. It's a four-bedroom brick house, hardwood floor in all the rooms, 10 acres of land, lots of trees, two acres of lawn, which Josiah is mowing because he asked for it. <laughs> It has a swimming pool, and our neighbor gave us a puppy when we moved in. So Jesus checked off on all the things that we asked for. And you know, Bob, he asked our daughter, Karis, Karis, do you really want a swimming pool? And she said, yes, Uncle Bob, <laughs> because the pool had not been used for 10 years, and it was defunct. It, was, it needed renovation. So he spent $25,000 of his own money to fix it up so that Jesus can fulfill all the things that we ask for. And the reason I share this is because I know like John Lee and others, the Lord is preparing your heart to go overseas or give up everything to follow Jesus. And you're thinking, what if I have nothing at the end? That's not our Jesus. He rules the world. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Trust him. He wants to be trusted. But living in America, it's so hard to trust him. And so I believe this is what his, Peter said to Jesus. We have left everything to follow. And Jesus says, to you and to me, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And that's his invitation to you. And on Friday night, we shared that God has blessed me and my wife with three children. We were not supposed to have kids, but God did bless us with three kids, so they're miracle children, which means all the more that they belong to Jesus. And so my prayer, my wife and I, we pray, our prayer for our children is that each one of them would be buried in a different country. They don't have to be buried in America. God is asking you to release your children to be buried in different countries. You already have the gospel. And the time has come. 
for this church and the churches in America to release their children, to be a blessing to the nations. We have no right to hold our children in our hands, that they would succeed and go after the American dream, which is hardly a dream, it's a nightmare, to go after the dream that Jesus has for them. And God has blessed you with two wonderful pastors. And a few months ago, I was really blessed by the preaching of Pastor Stephen. You have great pastors who are preaching the word of God, but the follow-up, the follow-through is up to you. Jesus will not force you to give up everything to follow him, but there's such a blessing when that happens. Let's close in prayer.